Welcome to another episode of the Cointech Talk. As always, you can find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Liberty requires responsibility. Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 263. A person recently asked me what I thought the world would be like on the Bitcoin standard. Would it be less dangerous or more dangerous than that? How much in resources would you have to put into security, especially if you're very wealthy? How should we prepare for such a scenario? This topic comes up because the future is very uncertain. We don't know when some cataclysmic event may happen. And as the past 20 months have shown, such events can have some serious knock-on effects that change nearly everything. Bitcoin, in that sense, is a giant change that will have significant consequences in all aspects of life. I spend a lot of time thinking about this and enjoy trying to figure this out with other people on my podcast, Bitcoin Fixes This. I'm optimistic about how Bitcoin changes things and how it'll fix a lot of the problems we see, which is what makes interviewing people and speculating about the future so much fun. That's not to say that there are no downsides. Indeed, a lot of what we take for granted now will have to be rethought. One of those things is personal security. To be fair, this is atop a lot of people's minds, especially recently, but there are parts that we take for granted. Most of us don't fear being kidnapped because this is not a common crime in the first world. This is because the fiat monetary system makes it very hard to transfer significant amounts of money without revealing who you are. Hence, such transactions in the past have to have been done in cash. However, it, it get, <coughs> cash, however, gets very heavy. Using $100 bills, $5 million ends up being about 100 pounds. Given how expensive and risky such an operation is, kidnapping literally doesn't pay enough. Under a Bitcoin standard, the equation changes. Now kidnapping has a higher payout because the transfer of money is less of a problem. There's no central party that can stop the transaction, nor a practical limit on how much cash can be delivered and carried, so the kidnappers can demand a lot more money. This won't only suck for Bitcoiners, but anyone that's rich. Kidnappers don't have to target Bitcoiners, they can target any rich person. As long as they receive payment in Bitcoin, they won't care where the money comes from. As a result, there won't be a cap on the money that they can request. Nothing stops them from demanding a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin for the return of a billionaire's child, for example. What this means is that everyone will have to focus a lot more on security. This doesn't necessarily just mean armed guards and intrusion detection systems, but also where you live. A place that offers better security services will be rewarded accordingly. Indeed, there will be a thriving private security market whose competition with one another will spur innovation. Similarly, security products that allow people to defend themselves will also thrive. The pattern here should be familiar. Centralization generally gives a lot, a little more safety in return for less liberty. When taking back that liberty, responsibility comes along with it. In this case, security over us and our loved ones. This is scary, not just to people that are used to being coddled by the state, but even to diehard libertarians who want nothing to do with the state. In a sense, we've been lulled by not getting to exercise our personal security muscles. Liberty doesn't come for free. It always comes with some form of personal responsibility. 
This is why I am so optimistic at a societal level about Bitcoin. More personal responsibility means more responsible people, and more responsible people means a more moral, industrious, and thriving civilization. So yeah, I wrote this article after someone asked me about like sort of plans uh, for security as Bitcoin rises in place and so on. And I pointed out that this isn't just something that Bitcoiners have to worry about. Um, the cat's out of the bag. The ability to transfer large amounts of value uh, without really the interference of anybody is already kind of there. And this is what uh, this means that you ha you're going to have to spend more time and thought into security. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, essentially. Um, you, you can't just sort of depend on the state, in other words, because though they've, uh, you know, more or less done that uh, for a lot of people, um, they also can kidnap you and you have no recourse if they do. And plenty of people in many different countries have experienced that. So in a sense, the liberty comes with personal responsibility. And that's what I wanted to point out in this article. Um, personal responsibility is not easy oftentimes, and a lot of people aren't used to it and they get deathly scared of having responsibility, like holding a lot of money in your own hands is, for example, very, very intimidating for a lot of people. They want somebody else to take care of it because they're so used to having it taken care of for them. That's, uh, that's not how we should do things, uh, if, especially if we want to verify and not trust. All right, let's talk about some Bitcoin stuff. Um, Bitcoin IDE is a way to visualize the stack programming of script. This is especially useful for developers and complex scripts. Indeed, with stuff like Miniscript, the actual execution is not at all obvious by looking at it. I think this is a great teaching tool, and I hope additional features, particularly around Taproot, come in soon. Um, so very useful little tool that I found and... Um, uh, yeah, you can you can look at the stack math and so on. I, I, I really like it. Uh, Spectre Wallet now supports Blockstream's Jade Hardware Wallet. The two companies seem to be working together a lot more recently, and the additional hardware wallet support is great. Given that it's a different design than, say, Cold Car, KeyKeeper, Trezor, etc., this wallet now deserves a look as part of a good multi-sig setup. I imagine that Unchained and Casa will also soon start supporting to all the wallet to get that extra layer of security. Um, yeah, so Spectre and Blockstream seem to be working a lot more together. I believe Spectre now supports the Liquid Network and so on. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but I, I do like the fact that we have more hardware wallet choices and that you can easily go three of five now with like at least four different wallets, um, you know, and, you know, two of the same one or something like that. Um, Jameson Locke goes through his tips on custody of Bitcoin in Forbes. The article is a great summary of the various trade-offs of different solutions. As he points out, the tendency of a lot of people is to outsource the custody of their coins to another party completely, such as through storing it on exchanges. This is definitely not the recommended setup as those exchanges can get hacked or compromised through government regulation. Thankfully, multi-sig exists to mitigate a lot of the problems of outsourcing security as you can partially outsource security without giving up control. So um, Jameson Lopp's uh, article is really talking about custody. Um, he, he seems to be wanting to publish more recently on Forbes and so on. Um, and 
good for him. He he I, I love his article, so I hope he continues. Jonas Schnelli has stepped down as core maintainer and contributor. I'm thankful to him personally for merging a few of my commits. He'll be missed given his service to the community over the years. Best of luck to him as he moves on to other things. Yeah, kind of sad to see him leave. Um, he's been a very good contributor and so on. Um, I, I, I do hope that he keeps in contact with the community at least, uh, if not as a contributor and maintainer, but as you know, just a Bitcoin holder or something like that. Lightning, LN Markets newsletter has a nice interview with Rusty Russell about Bull 12. Specifically, he talks about the offers protocol, which allows for much easier ways to receive Lightning payments. Currently, an invoice has to be generated and sent, which requires a lot of interactivity. The alternative is to use LN URL, which requires a domain and all the costs of doing that. Offers lets you receive money without so much interactivity. The article is well worth reading, and I really hope this gets implemented soon. So I don't have to generate separate invoices every time I sell a book. Um, you know, that that's one of the sort of like semi-weaknesses of Lightning is that every time you want to get paid, you have to ge generate a separate invoice. Unlike on chain, on chain, you can just have an, ha have an address and people just pay straight to that address. But um, having to generate a separate invoice uh, is a little bit annoying. Um, you know, an offers protocol, I think, would make things a lot better. And, uh, you know, uh, in addition, I think as it develops, uh, it'll eventually have stuff like recurring payments that are available and so on. Thunderhub is software to manage your lightning node. The idea behind the software is to automate a lot of the hard things like rebalancing and getting an LN URL set up with it for handling payments. The software essentially acts as a dashboard to control your Lightning setup. I'd love to see more routing options and so on as they evolve this product. Um, so I I unfortunately ha don't like actively manage my node, so this isn't something that I've used yet, uh, but it sounds very useful for rebalancing and managing the routing around your node and so on. Economics, engineering, etc. Robert Breedlove has a two-part series on our most brilliant idea. The first part is about how ideas drives human civilization and how money is the driver of ideas. The second part looks at how regulation stifles the free market of ideas, especially uh, essentially decivilizing society. The two articles are a good look into why money works so well and why central authorities' control of it is so detrimental. Uh, ultimately, it's an argument against uh you know central control of money and instead allowing it to be decentralized so that more ideas can come to the front forefront ProShares etf had quite a debut this week apparently they've been so successful as to be approaching the 2000 contract limit for front month futures by the cme <clears throat> they were closely followed by the valkyrie etf which was the topic of the podcast this week see below Given that they're both futures-based, both ETFs uh, place a lot of burden on the fund managers to make sure they roll over the futures in a way that minimizes the loss from frequent transactions. Still, there's so much demand for this product that ProShares already has over $1 billion assets under management. I suspect this number will only rise. So ProShares is the first one. Valkyrie is the second one. I suspect there's going to be way more in the next few weeks. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're both futures based. I would love to see a spot based uh, ETF, but that hasn't come uh, to fruition yet. I, I believe Grayscale is very interested in converting their 
GBTC to a spot um, ETF and so on uh, so that people can convert out of it when the premium is high and you know convert into it when the premium is low something like that to keep it close um, I know they have like a significant discount over the current price of Bitcoin Pleb Lab is a Bitcoin workspace in Austin. They already have a bunch of companies and plebs working out of their space and contributing to the Bitcoin ecosystem. I love that Austin is becoming the world capital for Bitcoin and communities like this are popping up. It's clear, it's clear by now that San Francisco and New York City have lost their edge and Miami is more an altcoin capital, which leaves Austin as the geographic center. Uh, this past week had no less than five different Bitcoin events with hundreds of Bitcoiners participating in each one. If you're looking for a Bitcoin-centric place to move to, you're not going to do much better than Austin. Um, yeah, it's a little plug from Austin from me, but Pleb Labs looks really cool. I think Stacker News and uh, several other projects are uh, working out of there, and I, I hope they continue. Uh, Jborn BTC has a thorough takedown of all FUD around Bitcoin. There are a lot of topics covered, including the obvious ones like volatility, environment, scalability, and the like. Um, what's interesting to me when looking at it all in one place like this is just how all the FUD is dependent on a lack of economics knowledge. Keynesian economics, in other words, is really a form of propaganda. So. Uh, you know, the, the FUD around Bitcoin is largely like targeted, right? Like it, it's made by the Keynesians uh, and you can see it in the in the FUD comments or, or the FUD that it's actually dispelling. A lot of it is, um, you know, like basically, uh, you know, has uh, Keynesian assumptions embedded in it. Bradley Redler debunks the analysis of Keynesian economist Steve Hankey. Hankey, like most economists that this, this Bitcoin, has shown some deep ignorance when it comes to nearly everything. And Bradley does a good job pointing these out. Bradley's analysis and concludes with a sobering thought. People like Hankey have been beating the anti-Bitcoin drum for years and they simply refuse to change their minds. It seems being a rent seeker gives you the luxury of never having to admit you're wrong, which is why people like Hanky are worse than useless. Uh, so Redler is an academic, um, and you know he the, he writes a lot of uh, papers and so on. And this one was just uh, absolutely like just took down Hanky really well. So um, good for him, and uh, I hope he writes more such articles. Protos.com has an interesting profile of Jihan Wu and his journey in the Bitcoin space over the last few years. As the article points out, Jihan lost the block size war in 2017 and lost a lot of influence. Similarly, his involvement in Bitmain also ended with him leaving the company. The article also goes into the failed Bitmain IPO, how Ampool has since spun out as a separate company, and how China's ban earlier this year has affected their operations. For someone worth billions of dollars, it's sad to see how far he's fallen. So uh, Jihan was a big player back in 2017. Not so much anymore, but uh, the the entire saga and like what happened with the Bitmain IPO and, you know, obviously Segwit2x and things like that. It's a, it's a very interesting history. It gives you insight into what happened and, uh, you know, how, how he came to uh, the place he is at now. Uh, Google, uh, some quick hits. Google is really, really evil. This is, uh, 
you know, like the unredacted complaint, uh, antitrust complaint filed by a bunch of bunch of attorney generals. Some really shady stuff going on over there. Apparently, the auctions for their AdWords are completely manipulated. They bid against uh, their customers. They bid bid against, uh, you know, like uh, they they manipulate things. Uh, they also like go to Facebook and Microsoft and encourage them not uh, not to up their privacy for uh, users so that they don't have to up their own. Uh, so I mean, it, it just looks really bad. Who knows how many of the allegations are true, but if even a small amount of it is, is true. They are truly, they've become a truly evil company. Uh, Firefighters Pension Fund just got into Bitcoin. Um, you know, the, uh, this is something that seems to be happening all over the place is pension funds and such getting into Bitcoin now that they have some of these ETFs and so on that allow them to get some exposure. Uh, venture capitalists continue to try to print their own money. Um, yeah, and WorldCoin got shellacked on Twitter this week. Um, and good on them for doing so because it's going to scam a lot of people. And yeah, uh, I feel bad for all those people that are getting scammed. But in a sense, it's kind of had it coming. You, we've been warning you about this for a long time. Ethereum gas fees are start uh, are to store a bunch of zeros. The so the tweet points to how a lot of these smart contract executions are like zero bytes, uh, and you have to pay for it. So ends up being very expensive to store a bunch of zeros. Uh, kind of stupid. Binance had a flash crash to eight thousand, um, and you can read a little more about why uh, or what they blamed it on, and so on. Um, all right, some events. I will be in Atlanta for TabConf on November 4th through 6th. That is next week. The Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia on November 2nd and 3rd, which is right before TabConf. It's a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin. You can apply here. I also have a few scholarships available for those that can't afford it. There's only a week left, so you better sign up right now if you really want to get on that. Um, podcast on this week's Bitcoin fixes this. I talked to John Mulroy about ETFs. John works for Valkyrie who released the futures based Bitcoin ETF this week. I released this a day late as they finally got approval for their ETF on Friday. He's a veteran of the industry and explained why ETFs exist and how they work. Uh, I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. And I talked to Bitcoin, about Bitcoin with Ben Askren and some other people at the Austin Bitcoin meetup a few weeks ago. And also there's the new book, Thank God for Bitcoin. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin, which you can also find on Amazon. Unchained Capital is the sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat de Landa S, this song is done.